Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 3, Episode 43. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. We're recording on Tuesday night, and we have exciting news out of Down Under. Yes. Australia, just like before we started recording, voted yes on same-sex marriage. Uh, 61% voted for, 38% against. And here's the thing that I want to drive home to all of our American listeners. They had a 79.5% voter turnout. Damn. Could you you imagine that happening in America? I, I, I can't. A Republican would never win another election if that happened. Seriously. I mean, I I look at that and I'm like, fuck, if in America we had 79.5 voter voter turnout on anything, fuck that, not even that much. If we hit 50% on anything, I would fucking shit myself. Yeah. So that's your goal, America. Do it. Here's my question, though. Make me shit myself. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but... Isn't Australia one of the countries that um, makes voting mandatory? They do have mandatory voting. That said, I don't know if that applied to this because this wasn't like... This is a referendum. Yeah. Mm, Interesting. I'd be curious. I know we have some Australian listeners. Write us and tell us whether or not it was required that you vote on this. I'd be really curious about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing was this was a non-committal vote. Is that the term for it? Like it was just to gauge the public's interest. Oh yeah, that's right. Which is you are correct. Which is so stupid. They were delaying making a decision, so they decided to kick the can down the alley. <laughs> that's that's that the saying. Kick the kangaroo down the <laughs> desert by by asking the public. Well, what do you think? Should we do this? I know that's not Australian, but just go with it, okay? Um, I don't even know what that was, Andrew. Um, something from over in the UK, I believe. Okay. Well, uh, the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, Turnbull, called on Parliament to legalize same-sex marriage before Christmas. Cool. Um, cool. Conservative lawmakers over there are already arguing about how it's going to be legalized, but it does sound like it's going in that direction. So we're just going to have to keep an eye on this, make sure no funny business happens between now and then as they work to pass this through Parliament. I hope they can figure out how to do it. I'm sure it will be a major challenge to figure out how (laughs) to wed same-sex couples. Good luck down under. I know. I can just see the conservative lawmakers being. Oh, and we lost Laura. Um, that's all right. We'll be fine. Anyway, um, I was going to say that this is impressive to me. The figures are impressive to me. 61% in favor. That's a really strong showing. Um, yeah. 38% against. Um, yeah. You know, you're always going to have like old people, right? Like the 38%, they have to be like 
the AARP members of Australia. Sure. Um, but it's I, I'm I don't know. I'm proud of them. Go Australia. And you look at obviously in America, it's legal now. UK, it's legal. Australia, that's like the third biggest country. Maybe not population wise. I don't know how we all rank, but in terms of like the big countries that are progressive and doing cool shit, like it's usually it's America before Trump and the UK and uh, Australia. This makes perfect sense. It was their time. Yeah. I mean, they were really the only major English speaking country that had not done it yet. Yeah. I was going to say when the United States beats you to something <laughs> like this, you are way behind. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Australia, you know, not to knock Australia, but I think a lot of times America gets this rap, deservedly, of course, that we're like these crazy, like politically backwards people. And Australia has a lot of the same problems we do. They've gone through a lot of the same nationalist, anti-intellectual, anti-gay, anti-women uh, type movements that we've experienced here. So we're not alone, America. We have good company then. We what do. You're saying. Yes. People okay. with better accents have the same problems. Yeah. I try to imagine Trump with an Australian accent and I feel like everything would just be funnier. Mm. Back here in America, Laura, you did something fun on Monday night. Yes. I saw Hillary Clinton on her book tour as she passed through Atlanta and it was simultaneously beautiful and terrible beautiful because she was wonderful and poised and and brought grammar and sentence cohesion with her <laughs> um terrible because she brought all those things and she still wasn't president <laughs> um i really enjoyed it i i think that her book tour has gotten a lot of undeserved bad press because people are treating it as though she's running around the country slamming everybody and blaming everybody for the way the election went. Um, she certainly talked about the election and the outcome, but the overwhelming focus of her talk and the way that she answered her questions was about how we move forward from here. Um, mm -hmm. She didn't say the words Bernie Sanders did not come out of her mouth. Thank God, by the way, but they didn't. Um, and also when she did talk about Trump, she threw some shade at him a couple of times, but there was never any direct attack on him or the administration. It was just, what do we do now? How do we <laughs> harness the energy that we saw in this most recent election uh, just a couple weeks ago and take that forward? She thinks that we can take the house back next year. So, Good for her. Yeah. You know, I, so I we'll really see. I have to say it's good for her and not and and however you feel about Hillary Clinton and the Democratic primary and what have you, I, I do have to say that you would never in a million years see Trump doing this shit if the roles had been reversed. He would never, first of all, writing a book. I don't I don't think he's read a book, let alone write a book. Secondly, going around and being able to talk about the election with insight and enlightenment and uh, not attacking viciously your former opponent, you would never see that out of him. So, I, you know, it just, it makes me sad that someone with that kind of class isn't the actual president right now. Yep. 
By the way, jumping back to this Australia story for a bit, I just Googled and it you did it was not required that you vote. So 80% of this damn country turned out just because they wanted to. Good for them. Oh, my God. That's incredible. That's even more impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Elisa, you recently discovered the Harry Potter video games, huh? The Lego ones? I did. I know I'm behind the times on this, but I fucking hate the Lego trend. I don't get it. There's the, There's movies, and there's a million games, and I'm like... Legos are a toy unto themselves. Why do I have to watch them on a television screen? There's something that's so counterintuitive about that to me. It's sort of like, I I don't know, making a movie about bicycles. Like, why would you have a whole movie just about bicycles? Go fucking ride a bicycle. Why would you have a whole movie about Legos? Just play with Legos. I don't get it. And it seems so cheesy and dumb. But the games, at least... Are pretty damn good i started playing through the harry potter ones i'm like on year four or something right now and i don't know like they're really they're kind of mindless but i like that like you have all the different spells and you they really do a great job of like laying out hogwarts um i don't know it's pretty cool did, like for, did, if you're a harry potter fan it's pretty like in depth yeah it brought you back into the wizarding world huh it did. It really did. It's funny because I've been playing it with my boyfriend and every single time we turn it on and we play for like 30 minutes and he starts getting antsy and he whips out his laptop. And he's like, we have to go. We have to go to the Wizarding World. This has to happen. He, he starts like pricing out how much the flights are and stuff. Like It really does. I have to admit, like the games are really in depth and it's cool to like feel like you're, I don't know, casting spells. Awesome. Well, there's a recommendation from Elisa for everybody. I know it was just yes. released on PS4, and it's out on PS3 and one of the Xboxes. No yeah. Nintendo Switch yet, though. Sigh. Sigh. Um, just want to let everybody know before we get to some news, and we have a wide-ranging array of topics today. No Trump news. We're going to avoid Trump and politics for the most part this week. So that's nice. Um, we will be off next week for Thanksgiving, so don't look for an episode. Spend that time with your family, okay? Don't worry about us for a week. Thanks for thinking of us, but don't worry about us for a week. That's right. You need to take some time to really try and get to know your racist Uncle Cletus <laughs> at the Thanksgiving dinner table. I will not be going home for Thanksgiving. Actually, on Thanksgiving, I have no plans, so... I guess I'll sit and cry. Come down to Atlanta. Nah. I, I, oh, well, <laughs> fuck you then. <laughs> nah. I have a whole Thanksgiving themed After Dark planned for you guys. So we'll have to talk about that. Including, by the way, and this is the question of the week, at least for me. Is it acceptable to have sex in your parents' house? <laughs> okay. And if Absolutely so. not. If so, under what conditions? And I'm very torn about this, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna have to talk. All right. Well, I have had sex in my parents' house, so I will happily share those stories over on Patreon. And uh, speaking of sex and love and Patreon, I posted a new palace intrigue on mm. Tuesday, in which I reveal the origins of <laughs> Matt and I, and it's pretty embarrassing. I, I remember this. I I was thinking before we were recording that this is up there. I don't think you two have looked at it yet, 
but the the one email that I included, it's up there with me telling Bruce that he means everything to to me in terms of sheer cheesiness. Like it's that bad. So. Oh my god. <laughs> You, I can. I when I took a screenshot, I was picturing you two laughing your heads off at it. So I haven't looked yet. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go to Patreon just to find this now. Okay. All right. So um, <laughs> I don't know how we transition from that. There is no way. All we can do is say changing gears now, as they say on the morning shows. Mm. Yeah. So go ahead. Get get us depressed. Yeah, this is this is this is more than depressing. This is terrifying to me. So, just this past week, 60,000 people 60,000 people gathered in Warsaw, Poland to protest human decency, I suppose. They were carrying signs that said clean blood, white Europe, um and they were gathering on Poland's Independence Day. Now, this movement, this nationalist racist movement uh started with a group called all poland youth or all polish youth rather and back in 2010 they started gathering every november 11th which is poland's independence day in warsaw and there were just a few hundred people just a few hundred assholes who hated anyone who wasn't white literal nazis by the way they also carried signs uh this week that said Sieg Heil. Um, and this started back in 2010, just as a relatively small group of a few hundred people who were just trying to take all the fun and joy out of Poland's independence day. Well, seven years later, now they are 60,000 strong. They marched throughout the streets of Warsaw, chanting, carrying signs, also, um, lighting up a bunch of like red fireworks and torches, I guess, to, to sort of signify, apparently the reports have been that. The idea is to signify that blood must be spilt in order to achieve clean blood, um, which is scary shit. And, you know, they disperse at the end of the day, but obviously they're still there. They're still out there. And the idea that there's 60 fucking thousand of them is insane. Um, And this is what, by the way, Poland's foreign minister had to say on Monday about it. He said, quote, um, the day was a great celebration of Poles, differing in their views, but united around the common values of freedom and loyalty to an independent homeland. What a cop-out. You gotta be fucking kidding me. What a cop-out. Like, you you just had 60,000 literal Nazis march through a town and a country where the Nazis, by the way, committed some of their most egregious and horrifying acts. And that's your response? Yeah, we differ in our views, but we're united around freedom and loyalty. What? What kind of response is that? Yeah, I mean, they literally had a deluxe version tiki torch party. Uh. Yeah, basically. Like, um, so here's something that occurred to me while you were describing this, Elisa, and just how quickly their numbers have grown over the last seven years. I wonder just based on the activities we've seen from the Russians and what we know about them, is it possible that the Russians have been stoking this group? I think it's, I mean, I don't know that, but I think it's entirely possible. And it is worth noting that, you know, obviously Russia has a long and sordid history of trying to influence European 
nation's elections far before they tried to fuck with ours. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Russia would try to to stoke this sort of sentiment there, just as they did here. Um, also, it should be worth noting the 60,000 people who turned up on November 11th this week uh, were not all Polish. They actually came from across Europe. So I don't want to make it seem like, you know, it's Poland and only Poland who's sort of breeding this incessant, fucked up Nazism. These 60,000 people came from across the European continent, um, which I don't, that doesn't make me feel any better, but I didn't want, I didn't want to make it seem like it was just the Poles. Yeah. But I don't know where this, my question for you guys is, and I don't think that there's an easy or even correct answer, but where, where did this come from? You know, it, I, I, it's easier for me to analyze my own country, obviously, since I live here and I see the cultural shifts, but I, I don't understand where, I don't understand where this comes from. And particularly in, in these numbers, I accept the fact that there's always going to be bigoted, anti-Semitic, racist assholes, no matter what we do, always. But to see this many of them and to see how overtly violent they were willing to be, I mean, I think it was only like 45 people were actually arrested for for destruction of property and violence. But the fact that they're carrying red torches to signify blood, the fact that that their their go-to chant was clean blood. Am I the only person who's thinking of like pure bloods and like the mm. fucking like Harry Potter, like actual like murder and genocide? That's what they're promoting here. Yeah. And I, I don't understand, at least in Poland, where this is coming from. This is a country that has a history with the Nazis, a very fucking bad one. And how could they forget so quickly? How could anyone in Europe forget so quickly? You know, I think it's a lot of things. Um, and I think to a certain degree, the West is kind of going through this pro-nationalism period in our history because uh, we're seeing it across Europe. We've seen it in Australia on occasion and, of course, here in the States. Um, I think some of it can be linked to globalization and people's dissatisfaction with that. I think some of it is economical, um, a lack of opportunities, high unemployment rates. And I also think a lot of the time it tends to boil down to white men who are seeing the tides, especially white straight men, who are seeing that the tides are changing and that we live in a changing world. And I think that scares them. Yeah. But yeah, the question of how do these people organize? I mean, that's something people will be looking at and wondering how they can organize these types of numbers, maybe here in America or elsewhere, because like you're getting at Elisa, this is, this is a huge number of people. And the country must have known that this was coming. You can't organize this many people quietly. I don't think so. Well, and again, like this started back in 2010 with just a few hundred people. And every single year, there's been more and more people um, yeah. coming out as <clears throat> Nazis. And but this year, the numbers doubled, more than doubled, actually. 
they like tripled. And that to me indicates a, some sort of tectonic shift culturally where one year ago, it was at least still somewhat socially unacceptable to be a literal fucking Nazi. But now today, one year later, it's more socially acceptable to be a literal fucking Nazi. And I, I'm just, I, I can't pinpoint exactly where that shift, where that shift originated. But I think Laura's probably right. A lot of it probably does have to do with globalization. A lot of it does probably have to do just with, with, with fear. I really believe that, that people are more afraid than ever whether it is because they feel like their jobs are being taken by immigrants or whether it's because they are fearful of terrorist attacks, whatever it is. I think that there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on in our discourse today, particularly in Europe where they're not so far removed, you know, like they have more borders than just two. They don't just have Mexico and Canada, two pretty friendly, cool nations. They've got a lot going on over there. And so when you have that many borders, um, you know, I feel like there's there's a greater sense of imminent intrusion culturally, you know, like a like a culture creep, people taking over somehow. But I'd be really curious if there's any Polish or just European listeners who have any thoughts on this. What was it like over there this week? Was this being reported? Are people talking about this? Are people as frightened as I would be if this were happening over here? Yeah, you were freaking out to us privately. Was... Yeah, this this is fucked up. Like, it, you know, again, if I'm like walking down the street and I see like 50 idiots outside a Walmart parking lot with signs, I'm going to laugh at them. You know, right. but but when I see thousands of them, I'm like, well, all right, shit is real. And regardless of how we can spend all day, I think analyzing why this has happened and why it's happened now, but regardless of what the answer is, I think the question, the real question has to be, how do we stop this from growing? Because if it's tripled just in the past year, if the number of people who are willing to come out as a Nazi has tripled in the past year, where the fuck are we going to be next year? Yeah. And how do we stop it? Yeah, I mean, we really cannot ignore the role that electing a literal fucking Nazi as president of the United States has to have played on this. Because... You have the leader of the free world who is speaking their language. I mean, he's not just emboldening people here in the States. He's emboldening these fuckers everywhere. So I think that's got to have something to do with it. I think the fact that Germany has also put some literal fucking Nazis in positions of power in the last year is part of it as well. It's not a change that we're just seeing here in the United States. And I think the only way that we can combat this is to keep pushing the momentum, the momentum about how angry people are that this is happening um, and making sure that we are turning out to fucking vote and kick these people out. Yeah. Because as, if you open the door just a little bit and give them enough room, they're going to burst in and take everything because that's what Nazis fucking do. And maybe, you know, there's only really one way ultimately to put them back in their place. And that is to show up mm -hmm. in greater numbers. You have to show up, you know, if whether it's in Charlottesville and you have those folks, those Nazis down there marching on the streets, 
you know, people in and around that state have to show up and they have to show up in far greater numbers than the white supremacists. And I would say the same thing of Poland or anywhere else. Poland, you got to show the fuck up. You've got to show up when you know they're coming. Every November 11th, they're out there. You know they're coming. Show up. Be bigger. Be louder. These are small people. They're small people. Go get a fucking blue torch and wave it around. Like, you know, like, you don't, don't, don't just sit down and do nothing because however scary it is right now, however frightened you might be for your safety going out in a crowd like that, which are all valid concerns, however frightening that is now, imagine how frightening it will be five years from now when you've done nothing. Imagine how scared you'll be when those numbers, when that 60,000 becomes 6 million. How will you feel then? Don't let it get to that point. Yeah. Yep. As a prime example, I just want to brag on my hometown for a moment. Uh, shortly after Charlottesville, you guys remember that a bunch of alt-right groups around the country were planning similar demonstrations in cities, uh, major cities in various states. Well, they had planned one here in Atlanta as well. And people here were like, fuck that and started planning a counter-protest. And it became clear when looking at the Facebook event for the counter-protest that it was going to dwarf the alt-right protest. And their leaders issued a statement saying, we've decided not to go forward with this because we're afraid of physical attacks from leftist extremists. <laughs> leftist extremists. Right, exactly. So if you make it clear to them, like, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking walk up and touch you. I'm not going to punch you. I'm going to stand with a hundred thousand of my closest friends and fucking stare you down. You little bitch, baby. <laughs> That'll make them think about it for two seconds. There it is. Well said girls. Let's talk about a very millennial issue. Revenge porn. Um, it's been an issue on the internet for a while. This is the act of taking someone's nudes that they've sent to you in confidence and posting them somewhere online. An issue with revenge porn is that in the age of Tumblr and things spreading through social media, the pics are hard to take down once they're out there. So Facebook has been testing a way to stop the revenge porn from being posted in its tracks, but it's a pretty controversial way of doing it. They're testing this in Australia. How it works, basically, is you have to send them your nudes in advance for them what? to block the nudes from being posted in the future. Yes. Yeah, so here's how it works. A user has to decide to upload the image or video that they fear is going to be used. So you'll, you only send them the specific ones that you think may be released online. Then, and by the way, this is a really creepy part. Facebook wants you to send these to them through Facebook Messenger. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so they admit this that this is a risk that's built in, uploading them in advance. Um, but they think it works better than doing nothing at all. So once they have these photos... <clears throat> A member, a human being of Facebook's community operations team, reviews the images and then hashes it. And by hashing it, they're creating a digital fossil, a digital footprint, so to speak, 
where they have this digital code that represents that image. And then they delete the real photo. So then, now that they have this fingerprint, they will be able to keep track of when this photo is uploaded to Facebook. So, again, they're just testing this in Australia. This hasn't gone live worldwide. It's just the, the, the thing that's worth discussing here is do we want to upload our nude pics in advance to prevent them from being shared online? <laughs> so I don't take nudes. Of course, uh, that's the number one way to avoid revenge porn. <laughs> yep. Or, I mean, like, if you do, don't. Don't take them on your phone. You know what I mean? Like, go what? old school. Go buy a Polaroid. What? And then what would, you, what would you do with the nudes on Polaroid? Give them to whoever you want to give them to. Isn't that the point of taking them? That is so stupid. Hand them out like, like, like Christmas presents? Well, no. I'm not, you know, saying that you give them out to people, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know how many people you send your nudes to. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, if you want to take a picture like that... I'm assuming it's to give it to somebody like do people actually take nudes and not send them to someone they want to see it? Yeah. To, digitally for fun, just for like a quick evening uh, digital hookup, so to speak. Not for like framing on a wall or something. <laughs> well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying like, to me, I don't understand the culture of taking nudes anyway. Yeah. So I'm like, to me, I assume if you're taking a nude picture, it's to give to somebody. Right. And I guess to me, I'm like thinking, oh, maybe you want to give it to someone special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You snap it to somebody special, I guess. I've just never <laughs> considered, hey, baby, I took a picture, a special photo I want you to How have. How do you think they did it before 2007? <laughs> uh, send them over email. That's what I used to do. Oh, my God. So, yes. So as I just confirmed i have i've definitely taken nude photos but i would feel uncomfortable uploading them to facebook in advance especially through something like messenger something that i message my mom in and you know other friends and family like that's just weird i think this is probably the best way to do it facebook did say that they were considering having humans review the photos blurred out versions of the photos but for whatever reason they thought that they would be making mistakes if the dicks were blurred, but I, I don't know. I think it's probably easy to tell if a dick or a punani are a dick or punani, even through a blur. Elisa, how do you feel? Would you be comfortable with this? Uh, probably not, no. <laughs> I I can't say that I would. I, I don't... I, I'm sort of with Laura. I don't entirely understand the whole nude... the Like, taking pictures of yourself but i will say this i don't get it as in like it i mean i don't know it's not something that like is my go-to thing you know what i mean but i will say that i understand why people do it because guys in particular get very hot and bothered by that sort of thing so i think maybe it's not you don't always do it for yourself sometimes you do it because your partner particularly like a straight dude is all about that shit and so it's you know sometimes it's like it's like that but i don't i would not send my shit to facebook under any circumstances though yeah i don't trust that person 
Yeah. I don't I don't trust that person. I have like why don't, why don't people just like not include their face in it? Isn't that like a pretty easy fail safe? That like, is that is a good method. Yes. Like I, I mean yeah, just don't don't include any identifying parts. Like junk is junk. Like no one except for the people you slept with would even be able to know that it's your junk. Just take a picture of your junk. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. One time I did that accident and I sent a picture on Grinder, and then I realized after that I left my millennial shirt in the background. I was like, oh, fuck. He's going to figure <laughs> out what I do now. Oh, so No, not only that, our listeners are going to be like, ooh. <laughs> he replied, please clap with a wink. <laughs> I'm kidding. This never happened. Please but, fuck. So I agree with Elisa's idea. No picture. No, don't include your face in the nudes. That's definitely one of the better ways to do it. No other identifying factors. And also, I find Snapchat to be a very good way to send nude photographs because because you'll you know when the person has seen it. You also know when they have screenshotted it. So you'll you'll you could feel comforted knowing that they didn't actually take a picture of it, unless of course they become psychotic and take a photo of their own screen so you can't tell that you took the photo something i definitely have never done before i am not crazy but i mean uh, if somebody's gonna take your picture and use it as revenge porn why does that seem so unlikely that they would do that no yeah i know you're right (laughs) anyway i doubt this will go worldwide i think this would be a pr nightmare for facebook if they were to roll this out to america and other countries it just would not be a good look for them. What a great job, though. <clears throat> like whoever I was going to Facebook... say. Yeah, someone on Facebook has a great fucking gig. They're getting paid <laughs> benefits. Someone is getting health care and paid vacation days to sit around and look at nudes all day. That is a sweet gig. Hey, Tony, come over and look at this one. Give this rack a nine. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So well, what, and what's going to stop the Facebook employees from like snapping pictures of what they're seeing? Yeah, that's a good point as well. You just TSA don't know. employees used to do it when you they could see you naked. Well, can't they still or do they blur out your junk now? They it's basically now it's just an outline of a very generic body. Mm-hmm. And if anything comes up in the scan, a red X will show where on the body it uh, is. Okay. Those things never bother me. Do those things? Did those things ever bother you? Like, I really don't nope. care if a stranger is looking at my naked body for five seconds in the airport. No, nope. I mean, I would usually just walk out of the the scanner and say, "You're welcome." <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't. Yeah, I would. I would sometimes get hard for fun as I walked <laughs> through it, give them a little surprise in the booth, brighten their day. <laughs> Tie a bow around it. One one time they uh, saw that there was some, something down in my ankle when I went through the scanner and they patted me down and a piece of poop fell out. That was embarrassing. Uh, is that true? Flashbacks to high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. All right. Another news story to talk about. This is pretty big. This is going to affect everybody in America. Um, <laughs> what? You set that up like there's... I don't know. It is. There's like a disease spreading or something. Like, (laughs) yeah. Okay. It's called obesity, and you're about to (laughs) you're about to get hit in the face with it. 
So the oh, food I got in the face of it many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so the Food and Drug Administration is going to implement the Obama era policy that will require restaurants and other food outlets with 20 or more locations to post calorie counts begin- beginning in May 2018, just in time for my birthday when I'm going out. <laughs> So any big chain that includes grocery stores, movie theaters, amusement parks, vending machines, restaurants, they're now going to have to show how many calories are in that bucket of popcorn, in that donut, in that bagel, whatever. Um, This has already been happening in a lot of places. Panera Bread, McDonald's, Starbucks. You may have noticed a lot of places already rolling it out because they knew it was coming um, I know New York City was the first city to actually do this back in 2008, and California, the state on a whole, followed in 2009. So um, as somebody who lived there for many years during this law, I did get accustomed to it. My question for you two is, is it going to change? Is it going to affect what you choose when you go out to eat? Yes. No. <laughs> All right, both of you explain. <laughs> Uh, this is a game changer for me, at least, because I've, you know, I was that person who tried like 10 different ways to diet, 10 different ways to lose weight. The only time I ever actually lost substantial weight was when I just counted calories. Good old fashioned calorie fucking counting. That was it. And I lost a shitload of weight. I lost like 70 pounds. And it really, really just actually works. By the way, it doesn't even matter what the calories are. You could have 1,200 calories a day of ice cream or 1,200 calories a day of fruits and veggies. It doesn't matter. It's just 1,200 calories, and you will lose the weight either way. So that's what I did, and I lost a ton of weight. Of course, I gained it all back like two years ago, so I'm in the process now. Oh, please. I know. I really did. Well, I gained most of it back. I'd say I gained probably like 50 of the 70 back, and um i blame most of it on my boyfriend by the way because he takes me out all the fucking time and just shoves food in my face and he knows that's like my weakness so he and i have been dieting lately it's like a group effort now and i've been on it for about a month and a half i've only lost like five and a half pounds so far but i'm i'm working on it and this is a game changer because i when i go i go out to like the movie theater for example I just want a small little popcorn. I don't need a lot. I have no idea what I'm about to put in my mouth. So I just don't eat anything. And it kind of makes living miserable. It makes it so that you only have two options in life if there's not calories posted everywhere. You either are going to be a fucking fat ass forever, which was the path I was heading down, or you're going to be fucking miserable forever because you're always denying yourself. But when calories are posted... You can find a comfortable middle ground where I can actually indulge and know what I'm indulging in. And so I'm not miserable and I'm not going to be forever fat. And Laura, why is this not going to change things for you? Because when I'm eating out, which is happening a lot less for me now, it's still happening more than I would like for it to. But I'm trying to cut back on that. Um, I try to just let myself have whatever I want so that I can satisfy uh, any cravings that I might have. And in my day-to-day life, when I'm cooking for myself, I cook pretty healthy. So I just sort of let myself 
have a pass when it comes to eating out um, and try not to sweat it. And I mean, if I have something that I know is particularly egregious, I'll try to just make sure that my next meal is as lean as possible. Yeah. And I think that's part of the fun of going out. You, It's an experience. You get to try new things. You get to try large things, um, yeah. things that are unhealthy but give you a lot of pleasure because they damn good. Uh, but – and the reason I do like this is because sometimes you, you like open up the Applebee's menu or Chili's or whatever – and you look at the calorie counts and you're like, holy fuck, there's there's 2000 calories in that. Like there's an absurd amount of calories in things where there shouldn't yeah. be that many calories. And that's when I put my foot down. I'm like, if I'm going to have that many calories, I want the meal to be pretty big. Exactly. So I'm the same way. I it is it really the first time I did like I, I lost all my weight a, a while ago, it opened my eyes to how many calories are in dumb things. Right. And I had the same mentality, Andrew. I was like, Christ, there's fifteen hundred calories in four of those cookies. Fuck that. <laughs> if I am gonna consume fifteen hundred calories of something, it will be a bucket of mashed potatoes. <laughs> I need a giant bucket of like bacon chive mashed potatoes then at least i feel like it's worthwhile but people don't realize like oh i had a cookie what is what's in that cookie like 200 calories at most <laughs> no i actually went to um god where was it it might have been panera actually but i went i went to like some chain bakery got a cookie and i'm thinking yeah there's gonna be like at most 250 calories in this cookie it's a small cookie <laughs> looked it up 460 yeah yeah it's in one cookie that it's... is that is a by the way that is a that's 25 percent of your entire day in a single cookie that, that takes five it. seconds to eat it takes five seconds to eat but you have to run like three hours to get rid of that it's yeah. not worth it it's yeah. lazy i am so with you on all that um so americans get ready may 2018 is when this should be enacted by it's definitely changed the 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 choices that i've made eating out um it is a little stressful sometimes when you really want something then you see those calorie counts and you're like oh why but i think americans should be informed when they go out to eat and yeah i hope there's no fucking pushback from republicans or some shit being like oh we don't need to show the calories like i don't i don't I'm, i'm fearful that like some big restaurant chains will will go to Congress and ask to delay this or something because this probably will hurt some sales. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Trump's not going to like this because all he eats is fast food. Yeah. The thing is, if you don't care, and you know, I do agree with what Laura was saying. Sometimes you do have to just treat yourself and like not give a shit. Like for your own mental health needs, you need to not care sometimes. But you just don't look. Like, I'm just not going to look. Yeah. Just ignore it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I want to be aware. I'm just saying that it's not going to necessarily make me not choose something just because I know that I can, like, with that knowledge, I can then make another choice to help offset all of the extra calories I consumed, you know, when I got onion rings. (laughs) Right. Or maybe instead of taking the elevator, I'll take the stairs back to the car. Right. I won't, but I, I could. <laughs> exactly. But I've noticed, 
is with, with dieting for me is I am too lazy to exercise. It just is not going to happen. I would rather go through the pain of being hungry than go through the pain of being on a treadmill. So <laughs> for me, it's that I just don't eat something. You know, people are like, oh, well, you want to eat out tonight? Well, I'll just go to the gym for an hour or two. I'm like, no, I'll just not fucking eat. That mm-hmm. is way lesser of an evil. Yeah. I've been really lucky recently. My building has a has a gym, a little gym, but it does the job. Uh, right within the building, four, four floors down from me. And I I used to go like five, six days a week, but now I'm basically going every day just because it's so easy to get down there and and I get a high off of working out. I love listening oh, to music and and pumping, huh? No, I, get, I just I, I just get a high. That's wonderful, Andrew. I just I could use some of that enthusiasm. I go to the gym and I think, well, that was a half mile walk. I'm done. Shafali is listening live over at patreon.com slash millennial. She says this also might force restaurants to exercise portion control. American portions are huge. Of course, if they don't lower the prices to reflect the portion cuts, this would anger their customers. So I don't know if it's plausible. That's a good point as well. Or maybe it'll encourage them to start cooking more responsibly. Like I feel like oftentimes all of these extra calories in food at restaurants come from just like stupid cooking choices, like the kinds Mm -hmm. of oil that they're using. And it's like, maybe if you make some really basic recipe changes, you can cut down on this. Exactly. I agree. All right, let's move on to some nerd news now. I can't wait to hear Elisa's thoughts on this in particular. Elisa, we found out the other day that Amazon has acquired (sighs) the television rights to The Lord of the Rings. Now, Deadline is reporting that they probably paid close to $250 million just for the rights. Now they have to actually make the television. And these episodes are going to be so expensive if they want if they wanted to live up to Game of Thrones and of course the original Lord of the Rings movies. Notably, they are they have uh, made a multi-season commitment, which also includes a potential spin-off series, and this is going to take place prior to what happens in the Fellowship of the Ring, apparently. But I would assume it's going to lead into fellowship and continue from there. Yeah. Um, I'm really, you know, I don't know. I've been trying to be very measured about this because I want to keep an open mind. And I've been wrong about things like this before, like, you know, with the Legos games. So, but my, <laughs> my initial reaction was horror. And I'm still trying to beat that back, if I'm being honest with you. Because here's the bottom line. There's nothing they could possibly do. There is nothing they could possibly do to make something better than Peter Jackson's movies. Nothing. So the best case scenario, the only thing we can possibly hope for is mediocrity. And something something that is just going to be okay and, you know, worth watching when you have the time. And, oh, that's cool. That's, that is the best case scenario. And they just spent $250 million on the rights to mediocrity. And 
I can't get past that. Now, I'm not saying that what they're going to produce is going to be absolutely horrible or sacrilege or anything like that. But I sort of feel like when something has been done perfectly, what the fuck are you doing? Be original. Be original for once in your goddamn life. Think of your own story. Think of your own story. Make your own characters. Like the battle between good and evil exists in many plot lines. You don't have to keep going back to Sauron for this. I'm sick of it. And even if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, even if you're someone who just thinks the whole thing is just fucking stupid elves and whatever, that's fine. But objectively, just scientifically, the movies were masterpieces. I mean, they won every Academy Award under the sun. They are, they're used to teach every fucking film class in the world. They are objective masterpieces. There's nothing they can do to top it. And so I don't know why we are going back to this. I'm really curious to know how they were scientifically perfect. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't think the Lord of the Rings movies were... Okay, Fellowship of the Ring was perfect. I loved the first one. Uh, you know, the second and third, I thought were really, really good. I didn't think they were quite as good as the first. But I'm really, I feel open-minded about this. Television is a completely different medium. And what I like about this is that they're going to have a lot more screen time to dig into things that weren't covered in the movies. So I'm going to give them a chance. The the only silver lining I will grant is that point that the Lord of the Rings mythology and the lore is so deep and so intricate that Peter Jackson did have to skip over a whole bunch of it in order to consolidate it into three movies. <clears throat> um, and by the way, it was going to originally just be one movie. Um, so he did have to have to consolidate a lot. And I, you know, if you're, if you're a big Lord of the Rings nerd, um, you're going to probably, hopefully if they do it right, enjoy all that mythology you're gonna see like all of the you know the lore that got cut out and the backstories that had to get cut out so hopefully that will be cool enough to carry the rest of it you know what i'm saying mm. but i i i just don't know i guess i'm also like again i i don't think you can top what's what's been done already and i don't and i worry a little bit that this turns into something that is just cheesy and overdone like if i have to start seeing more like fucking like what are those like funko dolls and shit <laughs> if this turns into like people driving around with like funko like like little little like rear view mirror dongles and like funko dolls and like like bedding you know and they already have cases. all that for lord of the rings I haven't seen, I mean, maybe, maybe I do think they do have the Funko dolls. Actually, I did see like a Frodo one before, but I, I it's going to get so much worse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, it sort of just feels like it's to me, at least it just feels like it, it cheapens what it actually is when you sort of dumb it down into coloring books and dolls. Yeah. And the same way I felt about Harry Potter, to be honest with you, is that a lot of that happened in Harry Potter, Harry Potter, children's story sure maybe incredible story yes definitely and a lot of it did get dumbed down and i was i was upset about that too and i just 
I've already had to watch it happen to one of my favorite series. I don't want to see it happen, Lord of the Rings. But, you know, if if it's good, I'll be the first person, you know, to eat my words and, and watch it every week. So we'll we'll see. So so why are they doing this? The streaming wars are insanely hot right now. You've got HBO, you've got Netflix, Hulu, Apple is trying to get into the streaming game. CBS is in the streaming game now with their Star Trek show. Disney is going to do their own Netflix. They announced earlier this week that they are doing four original Disney shows, a live-action Star Wars show, a Marvel show, a High School Musical show, and a Monsters, Inc. show. These are going to be exclusively available on the Disney Netflix, and then they're going to pull all the Disney stuff off of Netflix and be like, fuck you, this is just for us, which I think is going to be very good, by the way. Um, so Amazon has been in the streaming wars as well, and they need something. They need their Star Wars, their Star Trek, their Game of Thrones. They don't have anything. They've got some good shows, but they don't have a Game of Thrones. So that's why Amazon, Jeff Bezos, Whole Foods spent so much money on acquiring the right to Lord of the Rings, rights to Lord of the Rings. And by the way, Netflix and HBO were also bidding for this, but Amazon... Uh, offered the most money and just briefly I want to say that I think this means a Harry Potter TV show is now inevitable because there's still Hulu there's still Apple who don't have their own Game of Thrones or the Lord of the Rings they need something to compete for your money because you got to pay for Netflix you got to pay for Disney flicks you got to pay for Hulu you they got to draw people in with these monthly subscription costs so I think that Apple, Hulu, maybe Netflix, maybe even Amazon are, are currently got they, – they got their tongues on J.K. Rowling's balls right now begging her to sell the rights. But I think it's going to be hard to get them because J.K. Rowling probably doesn't want to do it right now and Warner Brothers probably doesn't want to do it right now either. But I think that it is – I've always thought it was a possibility because we have the Harry Potter play, the theme park, the movies, the books, the blah, 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 blah. But we've yet to actually see a TV show, and whether whether it, it, it covers Harry Potter's story, Newt's story, the Marauders, whatever, it's going to happen, and it's going to be at one of these streaming places. I want Netflix to get Harry Potter. I trust them to do yeah. it right. I trust Apple as well. I think Apple could do it. I would like to see HBO do Harry Potter. That would. Be... I would like to see, yeah, like a really gritty adult harry potter yeah that'd be cool so like teenagers fucking (laughs) (laughs) no is that i mean come on it's hbo i i don't know this is a different conversation for a different day i kind of didn't like the harry potter movies for the most part well neither did i but that's because they were trying to be too whimsical netflix has proven that they can do gritty without making you know teenagers fuck each other or like include all kinds of like grotesque language as they tend to do. Don't get me wrong. I love HBO. I just fear for what they would do to Harry Potter. All right. So that wraps up this week's episode. What are we doing on after dark today, Elisa? Uh, It's going to be all Thanksgiving themed. So we're going to start out with a game of devil's advocate. I'm going to make you two talk about, first of all, your advice for whether or not you should or shouldn't have sex in your parents' home over over Thanksgiving break. And, Secondly, 
if you should or shouldn't, you have to argue the opposite of that. So um, that's devil's advocate first up. I also want to get your Thanksgiving stories. I feel like this is the holiday people dread the most for having to be around family they don't give a shit about or that they just hate. Um, yeah. I have a few nightmare stories from my past Thanksgivings I'm going to share. So I want to hear your guys's as well. And what aren't we thankful for? That's what I want to know. I'm sick of every fucking time in November. Everyone makes me become motherfucking Teresa and I have to get down and list all the dumb shit that I care about. No, we're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to talk about all the things that are wrong and fucked up. All right. Sounds fun. And speaking of Thanksgiving, since we will be off next week, we are going to be releasing some bonus content over on Patreon because one of the benefits is that no breaks. No breaks. So we're going to do a few confessionals for next week's bonus edition of Millennial. That'll be available uh, around this time next week. And these are some juicy confessionals. Oh, my God. Let They're me tell you. All the juice. Yes. I, I squeezed the actual juice out of them. That's how. I mean, they're like, we're talking infidelity and masturbation. So. Yeah. And some ass fuck thinks I secretly regret moving to Chicago. I <laughs> I don't know, Andrew. You sound that? pretty bitter. Somebody's trying to rile me up, I think. And I don't appreciate it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Or maybe not. Don't be thankful for shit. Everything sucks. No. Exactly. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. <gasps> See everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Going on an adventure to Amazon! Yeah.